Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's been a busy couple of weeks in the Mueller investigation. Last week, sentencing memos were filed for Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen. This week, Michael Cohen was sentenced to three years in federal prison. On the same day, the National Enquirer's parent company, American Media Inc., admitted to paying hush money to silence a woman who alleged an affair with Donald Trump and, they say, did it in concert with the Trump campaign. And, of course, the president has angry tweeted about the probe more than a dozen times over these many days. But do you ever feel like, well, all of this is kind of hard to follow, that you're getting lost in all these details, the names, the dates, the tweets? If you are... It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. I get glassy-eyed and fuzzy-headed about it, too. And I get paid to follow politics. So my go-to remedy for feeling overwhelmed is to pull myself out of the weeds and take a look at the bigger picture. So when I think of the Mueller investigation, here's what I think of. I envision a big puzzle. You know, like one of those thousand-piece deals you think you'll finish by the end of your beach vacation. We're spending a lot of time looking at those individual pieces, but we're not spending enough time on how many pieces have been put together and, of course, where the holes still remain. For example, think of the important dates like corner pieces. July 31st, 2016, the FBI opens counterintelligence investigation into the Trump campaign. June 20th, 2016, Manafort takes over as chair of the Trump campaign. May 9th, 2017, President Trump fires FBI Director Comey. October 30th, Paul Manafort and Rick Gates are indicted. December 12th, Michael Cohen sentenced 36 months in federal prison. And then you have your important people. They kind of fill in the borders. Sergei Kislyak, Russian ambassador. Roger Stone, longtime Trump confidant. Carter Page, former foreign policy advisor to Donald Trump. Donald Trump Jr. Julian Assange. Jared Kushner. Jerome Corsi. Felix Sater. Some of them have been indicted. George Papadopoulos. Rick Gates. Paul Manafort. Michael Flynn. Alex Vanderswan. Konstantin Kalimnik. Michael Cohen. 13 Russian nationals. So we can see some kind of picture coming together. But how close are we to finishing the puzzle? You know, the whole border's been filled in and getting towards the middle pieces that seem to be getting larger and larger that point to potentially some collusion. I mean, I talk about this stuff every day and it's hard sometimes to keep up with it all. We are still at a point where we really know very little about the details of what people are finding. But there's a big, giant hole at the center of the puzzle that remains to be put together. Get your popcorn and put on your comfy sweats. I'm Amy Walter, and today on The Takeaway, we try to build out this jigsaw puzzle. Let's begin with what we know. So we know a lot at this point. (laughs) Good. That's Mark Mazzetti, Washington investigative correspondent for The New York Times. We know pretty definitively that the Russian government carried out a sophisticated and fairly successful campaign to disrupt the election that involved disinformation, fake information on social media and other places, hacking and leaking Democratic emails aimed at hurting the campaign of Hillary Clinton and helping the campaign of Donald Trump. 
We also know that the Russian government made several outreaches to the Trump campaign at different points, at different levels, and really up to uh, pretty late in the game in the election. We know that these approaches in, I think, nearly every case were accepted, were it were intriguing to the Trump campaign officials. We don't know really of any that were turned down. And that Trump campaign advisors seemed quite interested in the idea of what Russian operatives, government officials, oligarchs, other Russians might be able to do to help the campaign. We also know that at no point amid all of these approaches, did anyone in the Trump campaign say, you know, we should probably contact the FBI because this might be illegal. What do we not know? What we don't know is whether the Trump campaign at the highest levels, including now President Trump, engaged in a conspiracy as what we would commonly see as a criminal conspiracy to work with a foreign government, in this case, the Russians, to help Donald Trump win the presidency. We don't know if there was any kind of, it's called collusion commonly, but really we're talking about, did they actively work with the Russians at any level to make this happen? That's still the big question, albeit it is a huge question because it goes to the heart of whether President Trump himself uh, might be in trouble at the end of this. Thinking about the timeline again, going back over these last two years, Are there specific moments and revelations that you would point to as being the most significant? And then when we look back, when all of this is done, you could say these were the X number of most significant mileposts in this process. There were certainly many. I I guess the first big one for me was the firing of James Comey, uh, which happened in May of 2017, only a few months into the Trump administration. And the subsequent revelation that, you know, Trump had at one point asked Comey to sort of drop the FBI's investigation into Mike Flynn, his first national security advisor. The reason why that's significant, of course, is um, it really gets to this question of was the president trying to obstruct justice? He knew there was an FBI investigation and he was trying to get the FBI director to either soften the investigation or drop it. That's significant also because it leads to, uh, helps not only lead to the Mueller, uh, to Robert Mueller being appointed as special counsel, but also to this whole other branch of the investigation opening up, not just on the question of conspiracy with the Russians, but also with obstruction of justice. So that's a big one. Then only a couple months later, the revelation of a meeting at Trump Tower, which had happened in the height of the campaign in the summer of 2016, uh, during which Donald Trump Jr., the president's son, and several other campaign advisors met with Russians who they believed were bringing damaging information about Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump Jr. was approached about this meeting, basically saying, you know, the Russian government is trying to help. Uh, We've got damaging information about Hillary Clinton. And his response was, uh, if it's what you say it is, I love it. And that was, you know, spooled out over several days with the uh, Donald Trump Jr. in the White House giving several different descriptions of the meeting. But ultimately, it came down as they were seeking dirt and uh, were quite disappointed that they didn't get it. Thinking about what's been happening in these last couple of weeks with the guilty pleas of Michael Cohen 
you have now sentencing of Michael Cohen. You have this this whole other element here that has seems to have nothing to do with Russia. Can you help us understand where Michael Cohen fits into all of this? Michael Cohen was one of the president's really closest advisors, associates uh, during the years that President Trump was just Donald Trump, the businessman and the head of Trump organization. And while Michael Cohen had um, popped up in rumors uh, about Russia and had been in different threads of the Russia investigation that we had pursued, he really wasn't central to the state of understanding about the Russia investigation. Then earlier this year, there was a raid on his office by F by the FBI, and it, re- it was revealed that the Southern District of New York had opened another investigation into Cohen and these alleged payments to two women who had claimed to have had affairs with Donald Trump and hush money payments to keep them quiet uh, before the election. That was spun out of the Mueller investigation. Robert Mueller uh, sent it to the Southern District of New York because it was not central to his own investigation. However, something interesting happened. Cohen, because he realized how vulnerable, how legally he exposed he was as a result of this New York investigation, has decided that he would cooperate to a degree with Robert Mueller's investigation to say what he knew about the Russia story. We still don't know a whole lot about what he told the uh, Mueller team, other than he has told them about what they call the Moscow Project, which was an effort to build a Trump Tower in Moscow, and that, at the least we know right now, he was engaged in these discussions with Donald Trump and Russians far later in the campaign than we had known. And he had lied to Congress about that. And that's one of the reasons why he was charged by Mueller. It's still unknown exactly how central Michael Cohen's information will ultimately be to the Mueller investigation. Is this investigation taking an inordinate amount of time? Is it taking a longer amount of time than, say, other special counsels um, have taken in, in previous administrations? And do we have any sense of a timeline on this? I guess whether it's taking an inordinately long time depends on who you ask. And by standards of special counsels or independent counsels, it it actually hasn't, whether you're talking about the Ken Starr investigation into Clinton or the Iran-Contra scandal uh, investigation uh, into the Reagan administration. It's actually been uh, uh, far shorter than those and certainly setting aside congressional investigations like Benghazi, etc. I think the president and his allies have been quite effective, though, in creating this atmosphere where there is a feeling that it is taking forever by constantly talking about a witch hunt, saying that Mueller's just out to get him, is taking forever. If he had something, he would have produced it already. That's sort of baked into, I think, a lot of people's views, even people who are no fans of the president, even people who are on the political left sometimes. I mean, I get asked, well, why is this taking so long? So I think that president has an advantage. Mueller really only talks in indictments, and sometimes those are months in between each other, whereas the president is tweeting daily, and his allies are on Fox News daily, and other outlets basically creating this atmosphere. So um, I think that is where his campaign has been effective. And in terms of the timeline, again, it's anyone's guess 
when this does indeed end, I do think that this has the feeling of more of an end game right now. I think that I may regret this, but I, you know, I think this is we are we are a matter of 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 months rather than another year or two um, in this, and and that's really, I guess, as specific as I'm willing to get at the moment. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Mark Mazzetti is Washington investigative correspondent with The New York Times. Hi, pop quiz. Who is Robert Mueller? Robert Mueller was the gentleman who's investigating uh, President Trump. Um, the guy investigating Russia. The FBI person. The, the guy dealing with the lawyer, the lawyer guy. Robert Mueller. Who is Robert Mueller? I have no idea. No idea. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. No idea. Who's Robert Mueller? I just totally flipped James Comey and Robert Mueller in my head. Uh, some in the Trump administration, I'm pretty sure, right? He's the special counsel uh, who's investigating potential collusion between Trump campaign and Russia. So far, we have the outlines of the timeline and the multiple investigations. And again, if we're going with the puzzle metaphor here, we've got the border pieces pretty well put into place. But what about all these indictments and convictions and sentencing? Where do they fit into all this? And what are the legal implications for the president? The public criminal stuff is almost the tip of the iceberg. And we actually, I don't think, know how big it is underneath that. That's Asha Rangappa, a former FBI special agent. She's also a professor and senior lecturer at Yale's Jackson Institute for Global Affairs, where she teaches national security law. In my observation, I think there are four main threads. And these threads are kind of the different ways that Russia was trying to impact the election. It's almost like imagine them throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks. So the first you have the uh, hack into the DNC server, stealing emails, weaponizing it uh, to benefit one candidate over another. The second, you have a disinformation campaign on social media to try to uh, use fake stories, memes, um, you know, in in targeted counties, for example, um, to shape how they saw the candidates. The third is political influence, uh, using overt means to basically try to get uh, decision makers on board in ways that are favorable to Russia in terms of their foreign policy, for example. And then the last is campaign contributions, finding ways to funnel um, illegal foreign money into the coffers of a U.S. presidential campaign, which would be illegal. So if we look at those four threads, um, I think that we have seen action uh, and we are seeing action on each of those fronts. Mueller filed an indictment um, against 12 GRU military officers detailing how they hacked the DNC server and how they used that information um, strategically. Uh, I don't think that's done yet. I think that there could be other threads that come out of that with regard to WikiLeaks, potentially mm-hmm. Roger Stone and other members of the campaign. The second, social uh, disinformation and social media, that there's been an indictment there. That was 13 Russian nationals and three companies and one American who pleaded guilty to helping them. Um, again, I'm, I don't know that that's done yet. There could be things dealing with, for example, Cambridge Analytica that may come out. Political influence. Maria Butina, a Russian spy, pleaded guilty in court um, to being an agent of the Russian Federation and trying to influence political uh, politicians with, with 
you know, leverage on, on issues that could be favorable to Russia. And I think the <laughs> there's still things to come, I believe, um, with regard to maybe the NRA, straw donors who could have been funneling money. So that's kind of the big picture that I see. I don't know when it's going to end. It really depends on are there more people that help them on all of these fronts? Um, do they have enough information to bring criminal charges? Uh, and are they willing to make them public? How important is it that uh, there is a direct connection made between the president and the, the people around the president and those actions taken by the Russians? You know, we've already touched many uh, members of uh, the Trump campaign and we who have been cooperating with Robert Mueller. So, for example, Michael Flynn, who's pleaded guilty, uh, Rick Gates, George Papadopoulos. And remember, they have pleaded guilty and then they have provided a lot of information behind the scenes. So we don't know yet, um, you know, the extent to which, if at all, uh, Donald Trump is involved in any of these threads. And I think that if that is the case, that would come at the very, very end. Because what happens is in a criminal investigation, you start with the bottom people, you go after them, you charge them, and then get them to flip and rat out the people above them. Um, And you kind of work your way up the chain. So when you hear folks saying things like, well, if Mueller had the goods, then we would have it by now. It's taking so long because he doesn't really have anything. Your point is, that's not how this process actually works. You don't come out with that at the very beginning. You start in a very organized way and crescendo is the connection. That's right. So if you imagine, you know, first the investigation, you know, where you're gathering information and intelligence and you're spreading outwards and and seeing how how big this spreads. Um, And we already know that Mueller's asked to have his mandate expanded and it was granted by the deputy attorney general. Um, So presumably that it did, you know, it, it is something that's very big. And so that investigative piece, I mean, you know, investigations take time, like each technique, each thing that you do, each witness that you interview, each uh, subpoena that you issue, then you get thousands, hundreds of thousands of documents to go through. This takes time. And that's kind of that outward expansion. And then as you get evidence, you're making cases, then you are moving in. And I've often described it as, you know, Burnham Wood creeping toward the White House, Um, you know, moving from the outside in and then closing in on those key figures in the middle. So, yes, it does take time. It takes time to investigate, and then it takes time to build the cases against, you know, the people methodically and work your way in. You know, I'll, I'll say that I feel like we've we've seen little bits that suggest to me that, you know, I think Trump might want to, might be a little worried. You know, we have this Trump Tower meeting where, uh, you know, they meet about adoptions, which is code word for sanctions. Um you know, was going easy on Russian sanctions um, something that was negotiated in exchange for something else in one of these threads, helping release damaging information on Hillary Clinton, for example. You have this new NRA thread, um, which might come up. I mean, where the president has liability is, did he know? Did he agree? And did he do anything about it? If he's like Ronald Reagan and and is just completely has plausible deniability about everything, then he might end up being safe.
Asha Rangappa is a former FBI special agent. She's also a professor and senior lecturer at Yale's Jackson Institute for Global Affairs, where she teaches national security law. I believe the time has come to bring that investigation and the other investigations of this matter to an end. One year of Watergate is enough. That, of course, is the voice of President Richard Nixon delivering his State of the Union address. That was January of 1974. What we didn't know then was that Nixon would resign the presidency in just eight months' time. I regret deeply any injuries that may have been done in the course of the events that led to this decision. I would say only that if some of my judgments were wrong, and some were wrong, they were made in what I believed at the time to be the best interest of the nation. And of course today, it's the comparison we're hearing all the time. This is a pure and simple witch hunt. I have never obstructed justice. I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. There was no collusion at all. No collusion. Any correspondence or anything that has to do with, between me and any member of my staff belongs to the president, not to them. They broke into the office of one of my personal attorneys, good man. I believe the time has come to bring that investigation and the other investigations of this matter to an end. It's an attack on what we all stand for. The confidentiality of the office of the president would always be suspect from now on. This is worse than Watergate, what's going on. But when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. But is this comparison accurate? Or are we just searching for a narrative? The scandal has the potential to be the most sweeping one that we've seen. We just don't know yet. And that is... Julian Zelizer, professor of history and public affairs at Princeton University. I asked Julian to walk us through the parallels. Certainly the question of obstruction of justice is is a common thread between the two. With Nixon, uh, the scandal really turned into what was President Nixon's response to the investigation about uh, what, what the connections were between the White House and the break into the Democratic National Headquarters in 72. And the obstruction really became a bigger issue than anything else. And we're not exactly sure what Mueller is looking at, but it's pretty clear He's looking at this issue as well, not just what did President Trump, then candidate Trump and his team do in 2016, but how have they reacted? Have they reacted in in legal fashion and in an ethical fashion to the investigation that's unfolded? So that's a commonality. In both cases, you have a president uh, who's both vindictive and aggressive with the opposition. Nixon would attack the entire investigation as a witch hunt, to use that term. Uh, Trump does the same. He blamed it on partisanship. Nixon did. He blamed it on the media. And we hear the same kinds of things today. In some ways, the actual substance, though, beyond obstruction is bigger today than it was in Watergate. In Watergate, it really was about the break-in. And, and the investigation pulls up other issues, such as how the president intimidated opponents or how the president crafted policy, sometimes with interest groups in mind. Whereas today with President Trump, we're talking about some pretty big charges. Did a campaign conspire with another country to move the election in one direction? 
were business interests of the president's portfolio part of why he made certain decisions about foreign policy? So, so I would say if, if this all actually happens, we're talking about something that's bigger in substance than what we saw in Watergate. While in many ways the parallels between President Trump and President Nixon are easy to draw, there's at least one fundamental difference, the media landscape. President Nixon didn't have certain aspects of the political system that we that President Trump has today. So he didn't have a pretty established and substantial conservative media uh, with institutions such as Fox News that could help him convey his side of the story and that could help undermine the credibility of the investigators. Nixon didn't have that. He was really standing on his own much more than President Trump is. And the parties were both much more divided back in 73 and 74. Republicans were divided between liberal Republicans and Midwestern conservatives. And because of those divisions, Nixon was always much more fearful about would the party stay united around him? When, when might the party break? And President Trump enjoys not only a conservative media that continues to attack the investigation, but a pretty united Republican Party on Capitol Hill, where thus far no one has really broken with the president. Help us understand some of the political calculations that Democrats are going to have to make in the next year or so, both before the Mueller report comes out and after, about the decision to investigate the president and then to potentially draw up articles of impeachment. The first immediate decision that they have to make, Democrats need to decide, do you start this process? And some of that will be a political calculation. Democrats will be thinking, is it worth doing this? Is it worth not only dragging the country through an impeachment process, which is ugly and, and it's difficult on the democracy, but politically, there's risks. They remember how the decision of Republicans to impeach Bill Clinton, for example, backfired on the Republicans rather than on the president. They remember how in the mid-1980s, Democrats decided not to move forward with potentially impeaching Ronald Reagan over Iran-Contra because they decided it wasn't worth the risk. So the first decision is, do they do this or not? And if they decide to do it, then they have to make decisions about how the process will be handled. Will they try to find a bipartisan mechanism to conduct the investigation? What will the pace of the investigation be, which is, is not easy or automatic in our current frenzied era? And can they handle the investigation in a judicious, restrained manner so that the investigation is not undermined by a perception that it's simply a partisan attack? So those are the two different factors right now that are facing Democrats, and they're not easy decisions. Um, and Democrats only have control of the House, so they are aware that when this reaches the Senate, the odds of a Republican Senate voting to convict the president are very low. So it's a high-stakes risk they would be undertaking. But they can call witnesses. They can open their own investigations and essentially continue to investigate the president and his campaign essentially for the next two years. They can do it for the next two years, and they could also imagine that by doing that, they will change the political calculations of Republicans in the Senate. 
we are still at a point where we really know very little about the details of what people are finding because most of this has been conducted by Robert Mueller and a team of lawyers. Uh, in Watergate, we had in 1973 televised hearings by Congress uh, led by the Senate, by Senator Sam Irving, into what had happened. And those hearings were really important because the public saw for the first time who was in the Nixon administration, some of the things that they said had been done. And it really had a big impact on public opinion, including on the Republicans. We have not had that at this mm -hmm. point. So it's not only that they can drag this out for two years or hold his feet to the fire, but if the hearings are done well, they can have a really big impact on how the public sees this president and even how Republicans see him. Thank you so much for coming on and helping us to make sense of all of this. Thanks for having me. Julian Zelizer is a professor of history and public affairs at Princeton University. This week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, the fewer on college campuses over the war in Gaza. Students have tried to have dialogue over and negotiate differences in how they see the world, even as they respond to tragedies and crimes overseas. Students and faculty from Harvard University on the New Yorker Radio Hour from WNYC Studios. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter code TAKEAWAY into the search bar to get 74% off Omaha Steaks Family Gift Package, now only $49.99. Order now and you'll get four hand-cut aged-to-tenderness top sirloin steaks, two savory premium pork chops, four chicken fried steaks, four Omaha Steaks burgers, four snappy kielbasa sausages, all-beef meatballs, four perfectly browned potatoes au gratin, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, plus get four more burgers for free. Again, just go to omahasteaks.com, type takeaway into the search bar, and add the family gift package to your cart. Don't wait. Order today. Zero collusion. We've been saying from day one there's been no evidence of Trump-Russia collusion. I did not collude with Russia. There was no collusion, no nothing. So what is collusion? I don't know, like a legal definition? Collusion is not a legal term? Collusion is... Like tampering with some government process? You know, sort of a behind-the-scenes dealing going on that's not supposed to happen. Oh, God. A, co a collusion. A cooperative, uh, a cooperative, uh... Collusion or collision? I do know, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. It's a way of undermining the Republicans' uh, victory over Hillary Clinton. Two parties talk behind in secret. Collusion would be a candidate or... Anybody seeking power, working with a foreign power to undermine something? Well, collusion is really a colloquial expression for conspiracy, a conspiracy with an ill motive. That last voice there was someone with a little more authority on the matter. Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff will take over as chair of the House Intelligence Committee next year. And he will play a very big role in determining the route the House will take in its investigation of Russian influence on the election. I asked him which investigations he will prioritize in the new Congress. There are a number of investigative threads we're not allowed to pursue by the current majority. And one that has concerned me a great deal is the issue of whether the Russians were laundering money through the Trump Organization. And that might be leverage that the Russians have over the president of the United States. 
So I, I put that very high on the priority list because those issues that have a potential of warping U.S. policy ought to concern us the most. Uh, and that's one that we were simply not allowed to determine whether those allegations were true or untrue. What about Michael Cohen and bringing him back in front of the committee under oath before he has to serve his, his time in jail? We are very interested in having him come back in, and we've been in communication with his uh, counsel. We not only want to learn more about the Trump Tower deal, but uh, if there are other areas that we asked him about, other financial or other connections uh, between the Russians and the Trump organization or campaign, we need to know about it. And one you know, very tantalizing uh, sign that there is more out there is in the special counsel's filing for the Cohen sentencing the special counsel acknowledged that he had provided information that went to the core of its investigative interest. Now, that core probably deals with the issues of collusion and conspiracy. So apparently Michael Cohen had more to tell the special counsel, and we'd like him to share that information with us as well. You obviously were a former prosecutor. Tell us, though, how you handle a witness who, in in Michael Cohen, who has been proven to be a liar, and he, in fact, lied to Congress itself. The the bottom line is you need corroboration. There's a lot of focus on the sentence that Michael Cohen received. What's more uh, important to me is the fact that the Justice Department or the Southern District of New York also disclosed that they had reached an agreement with the Inquirer, uh, with the publisher and the CEO of that publication that essentially bought, captured, and killed these hush money payment stories uh, and kept them from the public. And as part of that agreement, witnesses at that media organization are prepared to say that the principal purpose they had in mind was keeping these stories of these affairs uh, from the public uh, to prevent their impact on the election. That essentially means that Michael Cohen's testimony has been corroborated by others it's not just a question of, do you believe Michael Cohen or you, do you believe the president? There are now a number of witnesses who corroborate uh, those violations of campaign law. Republicans also say that this process is taking too long. The investigation needs to wrap up by now. So do you have any sense of when the Mueller investigation will be completed? Well, first of all, this is a sophisticated white-collar investigation. Uh, and having done those as a prosecutor, um, those take time. Uh, Bob Mueller has actually worked with remarkable speed to obtain multiple indictments, multiple convictions on the conspiracy or collusion uh, set of uh, investigative threads. And, you know, there's, for example, the Roger Stone and WikiLeaks thread. There's the thread involving Maria Butina and the NRA and allegations of a back channel through the NRA. There's the Eric, Ch- Eric Prince meeting in the Seychelles. There are any number of investigative threads that I would imagine special counsel has examined. How close he is to resolution on all of them, I really don't know, but I think he's worked very expeditiously so far. A number of your colleagues have come out and said what was found, if it's proven true, the payments made to these two mistresses as a campaign finance violation, that these are felonies, they would be impeachable offenses. But whether or not the House would vote on articles of impeachment is another issue entirely. What would need to happen for you to say, okay, we now need to start writing up uh, articles of impeachment? Well, first of all, I don't think we should prejudge the report that Bob Mueller makes, the evidence that he finds. I think we need to await until we can see the full body of evidence. Certainly the 
um, report of the Justice Department out of the Southern District of New York is deeply concerning. They have now um, said this is not just Michael Cohen's view, but the department's view that the person who coordinated and directed this scheme, which may have had an election-altering impact, was none other than the President of the United States. That's pretty serious business. This is contributions in the hundreds of thousands, uh, prohibited corporate contributions, and a deliberate conspiracy to conceal them. Uh, I think we need to look at it as part of a broader uh, picture, broader pattern, of which Bob Mueller has better insight than any of us now. We have to wait to see what that full picture looks like before we can determine whether uh, it rises to the extraordinary remedy of impeachment. At the end of the day, to be successful, uh, you're going to need a lot of senators from conservative states to agree that the president's conduct is disqualifying of office. So you're not interested in pursuing impeachment unless it can be ratified by the Senate? I think before you put the country through the wrenching experience of impeachment, you need to recognize that there's only one thing worse than having the country have to go through that, and that is putting the country through a failed impeachment. I don't see what's to be gained by that. And so I think we do need to be mindful um, just as you would if you were uh, prosecuting a case in a criminal court, that uh, if you can't get a conviction, you don't go through the process just to go through the process. Congressman Schiff, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Last question. Is it a witch hunt? No. Maybe. Yes, it is. He's a corrupt person, so he must be investigated like anybody else. So far, it's just been a whole bunch of hoopla and a whole bunch of media blitz and all of that. I mean, have you watched The Americans? <laughs> it's not a witch hunt. It's not like it came out of nowhere. Well, nothing has come up. Everybody could investigate whatever they want. Pieces that seem to be getting larger and larger that point to potentially some collusion. It's just holding people accountable for their actions. There isn't anything, apparently, that I'm seeing that indicates that they have anything at all. If it looks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's probably colluded with Russia. Thanks to all of you out there for playing along with us and trying to answer some of these questions. Now, we just heard from Congressman Adam Schiff about how some Democrats in the House are thinking about the prospect of impeachment. A failed impeachment could be worse for the country than impeachment itself. And on that point, they've got something in common with folks on the other side of the aisle like Chris Buzkirk, the editor of the conservative publication American Greatness. He tells me if the latest developments implicating the president in illegal hush money payments to former mistresses prove true, and they're shady, sure, but they fall short of what's needed to convert two-thirds of the Senate and the American public to supporting the ousting of the president of the United States from office. Count me as a person who thinks that politicians are trying to bury unflattering stories all the time. And, you know, I think about the fact that there are 260 members of Congress who have used uh, federal funds to pay hush money to people who have accused them of sexual harassment and, and worse. And maybe that doesn't speak very well of our political class. It probably doesn't. But I don't think that that is something that gives Democrats what they are looking for, which is a reason to impeach. Let's go to um, Earth 2 for a minute and pretend that um, it's uh, it's Hillary Clinton as president or another Democrat as president. Do you think Republicans would be doing the same thing that 
Democrats are doing now and we'd be talking about impeachable offenses. Would Republicans be doing this had Hillary Clinton won? I think the answer is yes. And I think that uh, I think that they would potentially be overplaying their hand if they were talking about impeachment in that case as well. You, you just look in our system and this is the strength of the system in our system. You have to convince people to vote a certain way if you want to have a system that works and if you want to have a popular mandate in order to govern there's there's not a way to circumvent that system that leads to stability within the system in the future you've written that you don't you don't think Mueller really ultimately has the goods and that if he did have something that showed collusion or conspiracy we would know that by now we're almost 2 years into this do you feel still feel that way today yeah i do i just don't think that Mueller has a collusion case to make or he would make it uh, and i keep hearing this number thrown around well you know Mueller's indicted i think it's 33 people as a result of his investigation i said well okay mm-hmm. but who and for what you know and you look at for instance paul manafort gets indicted, you know, comes to a plea deal. Well, for what? Did it have anything to do with Russia collusion? No, it was for things that happened 10 years ago as part of his lobbying firm. You know, then there you get uh, George Papadopoulos, who's indicted, ultimately goes to jail for what, 14 or 15 days because um, he lied to the FBI about a meeting he had with some professor in London. You know, this, again, was not Russian collusion. I think, well, if there was if there was a smoking gun, there should be some evidence of it in these indictments that have been brought forth, and there just isn't. You know, it's interesting when I think about what uh, has come out thus far um, from the indictments and what we've learned thus far from what we can read from these court documents. You're right. Lying seems to be the number one thing that all of these different folks have in common. But I kind of come back to the question just a basic question about when anybody lies, which is what, why do people lie in the first place, right? Do you think that ultimately the information Mueller has is about stuff that these folks were lying to protect and that the lying isn't the story, even though that's what he got them on, but what, he, what they're actually lying about is potentially the biggest bombshell of all? I guess I would just put that back on Mueller and say if he if he's got something he can't he cannot use innuendo which is uh, which is to say well they were lying so there has to be something else there and so if you are a prosecutor if you're Robert Mueller you have to have something that's very specific you can't be amorphous when if you're going to bring charges so he has to have something that is very specific that t- that ties Trump directly to something that isn't just some sort of technical violation of the law. Not trying to minimize technical violations, but you have to have something that you can go to the American public and say, he did something that is self-evidently wrong, not a technical violation of some subsection of the federal statute, which everybody knows can be arcane, but something where people just stand up and say, that's just wrong, and we can't have somebody like that as president. And it's incumbent upon Mueller to be able to prove that. And so far, he hasn't shown that he can. How likely is it that there will be Republicans who would be willing to have that same standard as you do? Do you think that Republicans could get to that place? I think there's a high standard. If you're looking at things like, uh, you know, election day vote tampering, Republicans would be all in if that was demonstrated. Mm -hmm. I I think um, if you go down kind of to the next level down of a standard where you're seeing uh, Trump 
directly involved in directing some sort of conspiracy to violate election law, something that's very clear cut. Would you get all every Republican? Eh, probably not. Uh, but would you get what you needed? Eh, probably. I just don't. So far, we haven't even had a whiff that that is what is going on. If you had to guess, is it more likely in your mind that the final Mueller report will be a bombshell or is it going to be more of a kind of a dud? Uh, I think I think it will be a dud. I think it's going to be something that's totally anticlimactic. In fact, I will I'll go a step a step further and say that it's going to be a fairly short news cycle news item because I think the center of attention here is shifting away from Mueller anyway and is shifting into the House, into the Judiciary Committee and the Intelligence Committee. I think that's where the real action will be. Using a special prosecutor as a cat's paw is generally a bad idea. Let's let the political elected branches handle this. And the reason is, is because they ultimately have to answer to voters. Chris Buzzkirk, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. Chris Buzzkirk is publisher and editor of the conservative publication American Greatness. Okay, do you feel like you have a better handle on where we are in the Mueller investigation? Can you see the puzzle taking shape? Look, there's still a lot we don't have, and most important, we don't know how long it will take before the final picture emerges. What we do know is that at least one very influential congressman, Adam Schiff, is proceeding very cautiously on this issue of impeachment. In fact, as we move into 2019, I think it's Congress that's going to be the big story. Until now, the only information we got about the Russia investigation came from court documents or leaks or media interviews with key figures. Starting in January, however, the Democratic-controlled Congress is going to be making the process a lot more public. There'll be hearings and witnesses and probably lots of posturing by members of both parties. Ultimately, the investigation will be pushed into public view in a way we haven't seen before. So how will Americans react to it all? During Watergate, those hearings were critical in shaping perceptions of the president and the presidency. But almost 50 years later, our politics has become even more polarized. In fact, a new Fox poll finds that 78% of Democrats think the Trump campaign coordinated with the Russian government in 2016, while, surprise, surprise, 70% of Republicans think he didn't. Now, maybe these hearings simply reinforce the already partisan battle lines, or maybe they'll do what almost nothing else over these last two years has done, move opinion of the president in a substantive way. That's all from us today. You can find us on Facebook, leave us a comment there. And of course, you can find the show on Twitter at The Takeaway. And I'm at Amy E. Walter. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Amy Walter. This is The Takeaway. The Takeaway.